Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to the Neighborhood Pub, and welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. I'm Tom O'Neill, and as always, I'm joined at the table with Gabe Casper and Josh Woodrow. Just so you know, they're pastors. Today we'll be discussing sports, which is as it should be. We'll get into a number of topics, but we're also going to have former professional soccer player Drew Yates from the Austin Aztecs as our guest. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get this thing going. All right, guys, first things first. Awesome. Is this going to be a weekly thing? It is. Every week. Cool. Every you know, single week. I'm going to put it in my notes, just uh, random garbage dumpster fire type of uh, podcasting, and then we'll jump into what we're supposed to be doing. Is that what you call the Hebrew language, Tom? Wow. You have the no Bible's respect. written in it. I just no alienated all Jewish people. Awesome. Yep. That's good. Well, I kind of think the podcast maybe have done that already with our Christian views and whatnot. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I hope not. We try to be pretty generous and loving. All right. Well, here we go. First off, guys, what are we drinking today? Well, Tom, since you asked, uh, I am in the great state of Wisconsin on vacation. And so I have the greatest beer in the history of the world. Yes, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. So pretty excited to crack this bad boy open. Uh, how about y'all? Well, uh, to well, since I'm in the great state of Tennessee, if I'm just going to steal whatever content you give me, Gabe. Well, uh, I'm always known for the great beer. Okay, calm down, Tom. Settle down. You're not drunk yet. I'm drinking a Wiseacre from Memphis, Tennessee. It's the Tiny Bomb American Pilsner. And let me tell you, it's far better than any American Pilsner I've ever had. So, Wiseacre, good on you. Excellent. For the second week in a row, uh, I am not drinking beer. I realize that we are the pint class preachers. Uh, But uh, many people know I have uh, pretty – I I do love rum. And so today I'm (laughs) – I thought you were going to say I have IBS. (laughs) Yes, uh, I have IBS. As many people know, I have IBS. We're going to have to have, like, confession time. Yeah. <laughs> this will be the extra content that all of our subscribers and uh, or people who support us uh, get. But this is I'm drinking cool. a rum and Coke, uh, Kanish rum, and it's fantastic. I was going to get... I was getting a little disappointed with Barbados rum, which Barbados will say that they're the creators of rum. Uh, I think everyone, all the other islands pretty much say, yeah, yeah, we'll give that one to you. I've been pretty disappointed up to this point, but it's pretty good. So Glad to hear it, Tom. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers to you. I'm going to pour I'm not my making, beer into mine a Mine came out of a can today, but I'm not going to make it pop open and pour it into a glass. It's cool, man. It's cool. Hey, so can I tell you guys my life right now? Before you do that, let me just uh, say, don't worry. There's not going to be at, uh, very many awkward coughing attacks on my end of the uh, microphone today. So to all of our listeners out there who heard me pretty much cough up a lung, it was the left one, and I still have my right one. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, my mom said she quit listening partway through because of your coughs. Unbelievable. That's a third of our listenership gone. <laughs> my my mom's still holding strong, though, loves the show. <laughs> She's much nicer, much nicer. Uh, actually, incidentally, speaking of the show, uh, my father-in-law does not like the show. It's official. See, Hafer? Yep. Todd. Todd the Bod. Yep. So, well, this is the deal. He listened to the first 10 minutes of the first episode where we were talking about the Grammys, and he's like, I don't know who any of these people are, uh, which – it may be a shock to you that a middle-aged man in central Wisconsin didn't know Kendrick Lamar, but uh, he he didn't, and so he just stopped listening. Yeah, so right. He, he listened he to our Kendrick albums underneath his mattress. 
Did you listen to our second episode? Because we talked about Hitler and, and Stalin and Pol Pot, and those are all people he should know, right? And Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know. I'll ask him. I'll, I'll ask him. I'm at his house right now. Anyways, and here's why I'm there. Uh, so my family's on vacation, but we uh, flew out of Dallas instead of Austin because it's so much cheaper and it's south by this week. Oh, and the president was coming into Austin, so it just made zero and not, sense. And not at Nancy Reagan's uh, funeral. Oh, gosh. Tom, every time. Every time. Um, and hey, so I'm the supporter here. I'm just I, I know. I Okay, we're, we're moving on. Uh, so at any rate. Uh, so we flew out of Dallas. So we stayed the night at a hotel last night. And so I have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, uh, which meant we didn't sleep at all. And so I was laying in bed and I was thinking like, what's, what, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? What's going to be kind of our opening thing? And I thought, you know what? I have never shared with you guys. I have these great children's book ideas. And so I just want to pitch them by you and see what you guys think. All right. I, I am so excited about this because I am constantly coming up with children's book ideas. Oh, this is good. I didn't even know. Hey, okay. We need to write a children's book. Okay. Well, let me tell you the first one. Uh, this is kind of aimed at like your one to three year olds. Okay. So really young, uh, pre-literate type deal. Uh, and it's called settle. You aren't that special and you aren't going to change the world. <laughs> These are like those demo. These like those demotivator posters. No, no, no. But check it out. I actually like. I have a great idea behind it because here's the deal. Like we, when when my son was born, we had people buy us a book called "On the Night You Were Born." Have you guys ever heard of this? Oh yeah. And it's like the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like the polar bears danced and the birds sang and the spar the stars twinkled extra brightly. That's just a lie. It's just not true. And and think of the pressure you're putting on a kid. Like, I thought it was about Jesus when I first heard it. I was like, oh, this is going to be about Christmas. And, you know, new no, it was about my son being born. That didn't happen. Like, it's just, it was dumb. And so here's the deal. Just, just hear me out. I think too often uh, we put too much pressure on the kids and we say, hey, you're so special. You're so great. You're going to change the world. Guess what? Odds are you're going to get married live in the suburbs, and drive your kids to soccer practice. That's probably what's going to happen in your life. And so we just take the pressure off of them and just say, settle. You're not that special. You're not going to change the world. Furthermore, we are instilling in them at the earliest age, not a theology of the cross, but a theology of glory. Tom, you're Josh, you got to break that down for Tom. Okay. Listen, yeah, I'm not uh, that smart. You just said a bunch of words there that sounded Christian. Yeah, and... I'm, I'm going to break this down real, real quick and real simple. All right. A theology of glory is when we attempt as human beings to speak on God's behalf, answer questions that he does not answer or to reveal truths that he has not revealed, uh, which is not the position that Gabe and I hold. And so as theologians of the cross, we let God speak to what he speaks to, but where God is silent, we also are silent. So maybe the stars did twinkle when your kid was born. Great. You know, maybe uh, they will do something great, but we don't know. So to begin saying things like instilling that you're going to be the next president of the United States is most likely untrue, but also you're kind of creating this, uh, you know, I don't know, philosophical perspective, maybe spiritual impetus to say, you know what? I can manifest my own destiny. Mm -hmm. And how has that worked out for the last 200 and how old are we as a country? I don't even know. 260 well, years, something like that. Yeah. 80. You're on American. Uh, well, sure. Okay. My second book title, this is for like, this is like the second in a series. So as the kid kind of ages this is like three to five year olds. Um, and, and I need a wipe. Is that what it's called? And this is, <laughs> called the tiniest cog in the biggest machine dude you are so cynical these are like the most <laughs> pessimistic book ideas ever i was talking about like funny ones that talked about like poop and things like that but you're actually talking about like existential questions of life itself for yes. five-year-olds the tiniest cog in the biggest machine think about it and it, it'll be all about how this cog like tries to make himself unique tries to set himself apart and when he does he just ruins everything and so he finally learns his place in the world becomes a stoic and plays his part and the machine functions perfectly wait a second he you, lived into who he's supposed to be do you hear that weird noise what's that those are animals crying out from the animal farm for you to come join them <laughs> you and all of your children i'm just saying man let's just start shaping them for reality like let's stop with the dreaming let's stop with the highfalutancy let's shape them for reality just settle kids just it's like settle that, uh, yeah you, you know, can make them listen to that uh what is that a perfect circle 
has that song, you know, where they say like, they say I'm a dreamer. And then he just like crushes their dreams in that, in those lyrics. You know, I, re- I read all these, ki- these books to my kids and my kids really like the Berenstein bears, which are all these like, you know, little life lessons. Like how do we, how do we handle sports or how do we handle a sleepover and things like that? And we've seen the Berenstein bears just a, a little bit. They've kind of grown up just a little bit. They added a third, third kid. And I'd love to see some Berenstein bears books like sister bear comes home pregnant, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like the after school special version of Berenstein bears. Yeah, like what's brother bear hiding in his sock drawer? It's a dime bag of weed. Like, <laughs> oh, that should actually be a shout out to. Uh, well, let me give a shout out to one Dr. Joel Bierman from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Not a big fan of Berenstein Bears, but perhaps if we ran with Tom's idea, maybe he'd change his mind. He might. You could start teaching virtue ethics through that. I think. Which right? Isn't it? Isn't it the Berenstein Bears or is it Little Critter? I can't remember I, which one. I am not jumping in on this with you, so it doesn't matter. I, know I think it's embarrassing bears. He, I, I'm pretty sure he said he, it emasculates male maleship in America, so I'm pretty sure. But don't quote me on that. This Fair isn't enough. being recorded, right? It is. It absolutely is. All right. We, we need to get off this topic. We need to get into our topic of the day, which is sports. But before that, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different topics. It's going to be fun. See you then. Come on, you hot spur. Tottenham. Don't, don't you cut me down the way you did before. I see you hanging around, knocking on my door. Don't you seal my heart and tell you you're the only one in town. Got me on my knees, begging, darling, please, don't you cut me down. Well, friends, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. That was our friends Indian and the Jones. Uh, they are an Austin-based bluegrass and folk trio, uh, good friends of mine. If you are interested in checking them out, go to indianandthejones.com. You can find them on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, check them out in Austin or a city near you. Uh, great music uh, and, and good friends, just, just good people all the way around. Uh, and if you are in a band or know anyone in a band that wants some more exposure, uh, we have Josh's mom, Tom's mom, and my mom will listen to your band. My mom doesn't listen to this. Okay. Tom's mom and sometimes my mom will listen to this band if you send it our way. Mostly Tom's mom. Pretty much. So, hey, that's one more person, one at a time. Anyways, hey, we're talking about sports today. Um, and and I kind of I want to get at it for us, like, initially, because I think I think it's easy to go to, like, the Hey, you know, we pay athletes too much money. Hey, it's just a game. Hey, his job is to catch a ball, like big deal. And, and we sort of fail to realize, I think, the the massive sort of cultural impact that it has. Um, so I was just reading uh, perhaps one of my most influential books in life is, is called All Things Shining by Hubert Dreyfus and Sean Dorrance Kelly. They're uh, one's philosopher at Harvard and one at uh, UC Berkeley. And uh, they talk about finding meaning in a secular age. And they talk about how like it happens uh, in sports. And so I just want to share with you all a quote and, and see what you guys think about it. All right. You ready? Uh, and Tom, this book does not have pictures. So if you need help, Josh or I can sound it out for you. Okay. That'd be great. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Sports may be the place in contemporary life where Americans find sacred community most easily. It has even become popular to argue that in recent years, sport has come to form a kind of folk religion in American society, standing in for more traditional kinds of religious practice and belief. Whether or not it is true as a matter of historical and sociological fact that sport now plays this kind of religious role in America, a related phenomenological claim seems harder to dispute. There is no essential difference, really. 
in how it feels to rise as one in joy to sing the praises of the Lord or to rise as one in joy to sing the praises of the Hail Mary Pass. I'm going to pause it right there. Uh, what's your guys' gut reaction to that? I'll say, First of all, don't you think it's weird when people have a different reading voice than they do a speaking voice? Yeah, isn't that in uh, Catcher in the Rye? Don't they call a guy Preacher Joe or something? I don't know. Not pointing fingers, but I'm pointing my finger at you right now, Gabe. But it is warm and comforting. I will say that. You're welcome. All right. The first question I'm going to ask, uh, Gabe, I know that you are a Packer fan. I am. And, and uh, this year we saw uh, the Packers come back. Uh, and in the last second, uh, due to a complete BS uh, face masking call. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll agree. Aaron Rodgers throws an improbable Hail Mary pass to Richard Rodgers, and uh, everyone goes nuts. The sports community basically bestows knighthood and uh, uh, whatever else on Aaron Rodgers for throwing this pass. Uh, have you ever been as excited in church as you have been during that pass or when the Packers actually won the Super Bowl or a 20-yard gain by, you know, Eddie Lacy. Have you ever been that excited in church? Yeah, man. I was, you know, it's funny you mention that because, like, I don't know. Just be, well, you guys know me. Like, I sort of live in a state of constant existential crisis. And so I was, uh, I, I've thought about that a lot, actually, where I'm like, man, has that, like, has that ever happened for me? Like, where I've been that excited about, I, I'd put it even this way, the things of God that I have been about, Aaron Rodgers completing a pass to win a game. And part of me is scared to say, I don't know that I have. Like, I think I've had some deeply profound spiritual experiences that have shaped me more than, say, that pass has in terms of who I am as a person. But in terms of, like, raw emotion flowing from me, like, I don't know that that's happened. Like, I mean, doesn't, doesn't that just speak to, like, essentially this superficial emotive response that sports, you know, and entertainment create for us versus – because I like how you said that. You've had deeply profound spiritual experiences, but you haven't celebrated necessarily in the same way as an Aaron Rodgers touchdown pass. And I think that's kind of – I mean that's the only thing that I can think of where you get down to the heart of the – or the, the distinguishing factors is like entertainment is supposed to give you high, you know, high emotional highs, low emotional lows, but on a sort of superficial level versus you know, profound spiritual experiences or cheap spiritual experiences. Can I ask though is – an emotional high, why why is that shallow? Like, why is that not profound? I mean, for, for – Well, because Mr. Existential – Yeah. Existentialist, I guess that's what you would be. Um, does the completion or incompletion of an Aaron Rodgers touchdown pass at that moment, although it would provide uh, for you temporary meaningful disappointment, in the long term would that affect the way that you view your very existence? See, would it – would it cause you to question life itself or whoa, the meaning or lack of meaning in life? I, I would say no. I would hope not. And that's no, why no, I would no. say superficial. Josh, you're, talking, like, you're talking to a Packer fan. And so, you know, and I, I, I say that to poke fun at Gabe, but, you know, I've lived in Wisconsin. I know other football fans. Packer fans are something very different where when they do when they do win the Super Bowl or if they don't make the playoffs, it does in fact. It does affect their entire year. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an entire year of depression if they don't make the playoffs, you know? So why is that? Why, why do we have that that visceral emotion to sports? But if you didn't like the sermon on Sunday, yep. you know, we've forgotten about it by, by 1 o'clock. Yeah, but not everyone has those visceral – like, I'm a – I love sports. Huge sports fan. But my level of – emotional and even spiritual bondage to my team pales in comparison to Gabe's or any Packer fan on the planet. You know what I mean? So how, so I guess the, another question that has to be asked then is, is how is it, how does it differ from one person to the next? If we're going to describe this as a religious experience and, and, you know, or an existential experience, like you, like you read that quote, Gabe, Yeah, yeah. then how is it not universal? Well, because I think when, well, I think people would say that spiritual experiences, regardless of how euphoric or ecstatic they are, that spiritual experiences are universal. 
But see, that's not true. Spiritual experiences are inherently personal. No, no, no. But what I mean by universal is it's difficult to find a human being, I think. This is probably a gross overgeneralization, but I think it's difficult to find a human being who would say they have never had a spiritual experience of any kind. Yeah, that's probably true. That's what I mean by universal. They're extremely personal. I mean, it's their nature, but everyone's had it. Whereas I've never had that, you know, ecstatic euphoric experience with a sports team watching them on TV, like ever. But what about those that have? I mean, simply because you haven't had it doesn't preclude it from being a truly spiritual experience for another person, right? Like, for example, David Foster Wallace, uh, anyone who goes to my church will be so annoyed that I just quoted him because I quote him all the time. But he wrote an article in New York Times Magazine called Federer as Religious Experience. And he writes about watching Roger Federer play tennis. Tennis. I think we can all agree that no part of tennis is a spiritual experience. Hey, I mean, I'm with you. But for him, like, you know, not a religious dude, not a spiritual dude. And he talks about how it just overwhelmed him uh, to watch him play. I'm thinking, you know, Gabe, well, both of you know, I really like basketball and I'm doing everything in my power to get tickets to the Warriors Timberwolves game on March 21st, because I want to see Stephen Curry, Steph Curry hit three pointers from a million miles away. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's insane this year yep. and we'll do anything to go in and see that because it's an amazing. Yep. Why am I not doing the same thing? I know there's some really good preachers in town. I'm not knocking down doors and Craigslisting and Googling tickets. Craigslisting. That's for kind of Yeah, it's a new, it's a, it's a new verb. Uh why am I not doing that for for the church down the street or for this pastor or that preacher? Because you don't live in Austin. Well, that's true. Because that was a joke. Um, but <laughs> so that's that's a good question because I think that actually gets to um, this. I, I think where sports becomes sacred for us as as a culture and as people is the fact that it's an embodied activity. And, and so what I mean by that is like. Spiritual, like when when we think of the spiritual, we can kind of abstract that away. Like you're not going to knock down the door to hear some guy talk because it's just a guy talking no matter how good he is at it. Um, But we do that with comedians. That's a good point, actually. But that's another topic. But that's a great point. Um, But we don't do it with preachers by and large, you know, save for like three or four. And so maybe that's actually the point. Like you can have great preachers in Minneapolis, but you don't have Matt Chandler. Um, and so maybe you'd be knocking down the door to see him, but back on my point, let me just talk about this. Um, well, before, before you get there, one of the things, one of the things that people keep, like, if I go to, uh, to hear a pastor preach, essentially I, as a Christian, as someone who's grown up in the church, he's not going to share anything mind shatteringly new. You know, I've read the Bible. I know what he's going to say. Um, if I go to see Yo-Yo Ma play cello, I'm expecting him to play something flawlessly, and it will be beautiful and wonderful. But the only surprise there is if you were to royally screw it up. When I go to a sporting event, anything can happen. Yep. I have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And... Aaron Rodgers might throw a Hail Mary at the end, and I can be either really excited or really disappointed by that outcome. And I think that's what sports really – that's the emotion that is elicited from us, and that's why we spend more time and more energy in the sporting culture than we do at church. Yep. Yep. So then it sounds like it's not really a religious experience, more of an addiction. See, I don't know. Like you're just kind of addicted to the emotional roller coaster that sporting events provide. The uncertainty. It's kind of like gambling. You know what I mean? But dude, think about it. It's it's a bigger experience because it's communal, though, Josh. Like so. Uh, well, Albert that's Borgman, fair. We just haven't brought that. We just haven't talked about that yet. All right, so let me bring think, it in. Let me okay. bring it in. Albert Borgman, uh, philosopher of technology. That's a job. Uh, 
writes this. He says, a thoughtful and graceful ballpark tunes people to the same harmonies. It inspires common pride and pleasure, a shared sense of season and place, a joint anticipation of drama. Given such attunement, banter and laughter flow naturally across strangers and unite them into a community. Here's what I want to get to, though. When reality and community conspire this way, divinity descends on the game. Divinity of an impersonal and yet potent kind. So it's kind of like a Promise Keepers event from back yes. in the <laughs> No, that's it. That's exactly right. You get a bunch of dudes in a baseball stadium and like Darlene Check leading worship. And next thing you know, you've got a the dissension of the divine. Exactly. No, and I think that's the thing, though. And I think that's why it's it's not – to me, it's not just a shallow experience because – it's brought into this communal with something that's outside of your control, which the divine, if it's truly divine, should be outside of your control. Um, and so both of these things touch down in the realm of professional sports. Well, if, even if you look at a, like, I think, I, I don't think James uh, K.A. Smith has, has he, I don't think he's written about anything sports related necessarily, but in terms of, he has? Yeah, in Desiring the Kingdom, but oh well, yeah, okay, yes, in Desiring the Kingdom. Well, I mean, and that's essentially what I'm what I'm kind of basing this off of. But the fact that you know, uh, liturgy and habit and ritual are formational. I mean, if you think about it, there are a lot of common elements between a sporting event and a religious experience. I mean, tailgating before, you know, you're sharing this meal, kind of communing, so to speak, with one another. You're developing relationships, you know, creating those bonds, which almost climaxes at the point in which some type of either highly invigorating or highly disappointing play happens where you essentially look around the entire stadium, the guy, you know, sitting next to you uh, in this like deep, deep sense of camaraderie, which results in kind of like what at the end of that quote, the dissension of the divine at that moment. So shouldn't, shouldn't church take a little or take a page out of sports here? Because uh, I love that analogy that, you know, before church, we all gather together and we're talking and we're, we're enjoying each other's company and there's camaraderie and we're all going to go and sit and watch the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in sports, we talked about the product on the field or the pastor up in the pulpit, the product on the field, we don't know what's going to happen. And so that's inherently more interesting than sitting and listening to the pastor who's going to tell us something that we probably already know just you know, reiterating it or maybe spinning it in a different way. But, you know, when I go into a sporting event, I have the leisure to drink beer and to talk to the person sitting next to me about whatever I want and I can pay attention or I, and, or I don't. And there's this exciting product on the field and sports teams in order to market themselves are trying to get the most exciting people and things like that. But with church, it's the same person up there every single week telling us the same thing. And so um, we, we get all excited. We're, 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 we're coming into church. We're talking with our friends and then we have to go sit down and we have to be quiet and we have to like follow these set rules. And so it's yeah. inherently less fun. But there are, but there are those same rules exist with church. And I think to go back to, um, you know, desiring the kingdom and other things that Jamie Smith has written, it's the same way, just under a different set of rules. So, like in the sports world, yeah, you're right. I get to go in, I can have a beer, I can pay attention, I don't have to. I'm sort of expected to be rowdy and raucous. But in church, you're sort of obeying by the community written rules of this is when we be quiet, this is when we stand, this is when we drink crappy coffee and get a donut and pretend like we like each other and that type of thing. So I wonder if it's almost too much of a stretch to to compare the two. I mean, in a sense to say sports as a is a religious experience is I think that's legitimate uh, on the as an as a metaphor and analogy, but if we're really trying to compare and contrast the both of a, say, for our you know context, a Christian religious experience, a Sunday morning worship service, that kind of thing, with a sporting event, I just don't know if we can actually make enough ties to say, hey, they're sort of the same, sort of the different, because the rules under which they operate, written by the community, are yeah, I mean, entirely yes, we, different. Yes, we can though, because we are making we are making sports. Our God, we are violating the first commandment by saying, "Thou shalt not have no other gods before me." And we are saying, "I choose to go to this sporting event on a Sunday morning rather than going to church." Because, and 
And what's mean? Because in church, we are supposedly worshiping and praising our God Almighty, the creator of the universe. So hold on. Tom, let me stop you right there. I'm talking over you. Here it comes. Because here's the deal. You just mentioned this, the creator of the universe. And that's my thing is to say, like, it either is, is sports idolatry or, and this is what I think Dreyfus and Kelly get at when I was reading that quote, or is it a gateway to the divine? Is it pointing us to something beyond ourselves? Like now, obviously it's not confessing the Trinity. Okay. But like, is that sort of religious experience that happens at a sporting event? Is that pointing us to something beyond ourselves? So as opposed to coming down on it, can we not say this points to something bigger? Well, I'll say I'll say two things on that. One, I I don't have a problem with that because here is something that God created. Here is something that God created us to think up and figure out. And we created the game of basketball or soccer or football or whatever it is. And and why isn't that good? Why can't we celebrate that? Exactly. Um, so I think that's a, I think there's a secondary thing which maybe we don't want to get into, but um, we have this thing in the church of if it's too superficial, too emotional. Oh, I'm, these songs elicit these emotions. Well, no, 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 we shouldn't have those. It, it needs to be too. It needs to be deeper. It needs to be sit here and just think. And like I don't want this song to elicit emotion from me. Oh my gosh, you know. Like some churches really have a problem with that. Some churches don't. Sports elicits that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but also not all sporting events are on Sunday morning. So if I'm having the same kind of ecstatic union with the divine on a Friday night at an Atlanta Hawks game, is that idolatrous because it's not on Sunday morning? Who would ever hey, have that at listen, an Atlanta Hawks I don't know. <laughs> I'm only two hours from Atlanta, all right? Chattanooga, a lot of people are Hawks fans. I myself am a Warriors fan. So I don't know. But it's not necessarily always on Sunday morning. So I don't know if we can necessarily – like it, it goes beyond Sunday mornings because there are sporting events just about every day of the week at every time of the day. You know what I mean? But to your point, Tom, you know, there are churches that say, yeah, we can't have these kind of, you know, euphoric experiences with the music and kind of creating perhaps superficial emotional states of being. But at the same time, there are a lot of churches that use that or that is their main kind of uh, or I shouldn't say main, but it's like and in, their intent is to create a divine encounter. But like you said, Gabe. In order for it to truly be divine, it has to come from outside of ourselves. So at what point – I mean sporting teams, the players, the coaches, the management, the media are able to create these environments which either drive up excitement or emotion in order to you know, have these like divine moments if if we're going off that driver's quote, right? Well, in church, some churches do the same thing in different ways. I mean Gabe, I remember uh, a classmate of ours at the seminary like uh, – didn't he say something like – it was Wallenberg, and didn't he say something like, "Man, when those when those pipe or uh, the organ pipes get blowing, like I get blustery or something"? <laughs> I mean, was there something like ridiculous like that? You know, so to say that don't drag me into it, but uh, yeah, how is that dragging you into it? I love Wallenberg. If you're I, listening, Wallenberg, I still remember that, and okay, I remember yeah, you. So anyway, all I'm saying is like, I think there's more to, like in creating the environment of whatever that actually looks like. Uh, I think the 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 temptation or the threat to an idolatrous activity is whether we're trying to create this divine uh, experience or we're sort of allowing it to happen to us, which is what you were saying, Gabe, like in this, you know, in, in this athletic environment, it sort of happened, this divine experience sort of happens to us, even though on one level it's actually created yep. or facilitated. We're, we're going to get into that here. Uh, we're going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to bring in Drew Yates, uh, former professional soccer player, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, that euphoric experience, that divine experience, and how sports and, and, and the spiritual come together. And, and so we'll be there. We'll be right back. Hold tight.
Well, hey, once again, uh, that was Indian and the Jones, uh, Bluegrass and Folk, straight out of Austin, Texas. If you get a chance, check them out online. They're a ton of fun. Uh, and in fact, our producer of this very podcast plays the mandolin for them. So that's pretty exciting. Well, hey, now that we're back, we are headed into a time where we are going to talk with a uh, former professional athlete, going to uh, hear his story and, and some of where he's coming from as we kind of discuss the, the spiritual impact of sports and what that looks like. Let me just give you a quick bio on him. Uh, Drew Yates, uh, is a, as a friend of mine, I'm proud to say, uh, he played uh, and won a national championship in 2008 with the University of Maryland Terrapins uh, and then was drafted to uh, the Chicago Fire in the second round of the MLS Super Draft uh, and, and uh, hung out with them for a while, but then uh, bounced around USL Pro uh, with the Charlotte Eagles, with the Harrisburg City Islanders, with FC Tampa Bay. Most importantly, though, uh, his last team he played with uh, the Austin Aztecs, where Aztecs, 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 they have arguably the most handsome chaplain in the entire country. Oh. Um, <laughs> unofficial, and, uh, unofficial chaplain. Unofficial, unofficial. Yeah, hasn't hasn't been locked down yet. But uh, man, Drew, we are so grateful to have you. You are. Uh, where are you at now, Drew? Will you, will you share with everyone where you're at? Yeah, so I uh, I moved in February to Lynchburg, Virginia, to go to uh, Liberty University. I'm in seminary over here. Um, just just started spring semester. So that's great. So can I, I? I just feel like you know we're we're dudes, uh, men, uh, and uh, you know, kind of the dream for every guy is to play professional sports. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say go to seminary. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh wait, that's not the dream of every guy to go somewhere. Oh man. Well, so that's exactly that's exactly my point, though. Only, like, only the uh, select few, right? That's right. Touch with that's the right. Sorry, everyone. So, how do you go from like the dream of playing professional soccer to being like, uh, I think I'm gonna go study Greek and Hebrew? Like, how did how does that happen for you? Uh, man, I mean, it was it was a process for sure. It was uh, probably a two three year process, and uh, it started by me just opening the Bible, starting to read the Bible. And just the Lord starting to work on my heart. And uh, this is just the direction that I thought he was taking me in. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, really cool. Well, so one of the things that uh, we've been talking about is is this idea of like, it sometimes seems like in, in the sporting world, there's like these sacred moments that almost happen where it almost feels like sports transcends simply being like, a physical activity, but it's like something bigger is going on. And I know Drew just talking with you um, as a player. So that's kind of us from a fan perspective, but as a player, um, I remember you talking about this game. I remember you guys were playing, uh, was it Arizona United FC or mm -hmm. Arizona, whatever the name is. Uh, but you were playing them and you told me, you're like, dude, I just felt it in the game. Like I could just do everything. Would you ascribe that to something like divine or is that just something else? What, what does that look like for you? I, as, mean, as I would, I would definitely say that it's using a talent that was divinely given to me. Mm -hmm. And there's just those games where like, I grew up loving Michael Jordan. So there's games where they, everyone would say he's in the zone, he's feeling mm -hmm. it. And as an athlete, you, you have those moments. And th those are kind of the, as an athlete, those are the moments that you live for where you're just, you're um, walking on water to say, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Things are just going right for you. And uh, yeah, definitely last year that, I mean, I, you, you wanted to happen a little more frequently, but last year was probably just that <laughs> game for me um, where it just, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. But now to say that it's, that it's divinely, I don't know. What was the expression you used? Not divinely appointed, but. But like divinely inspired that it's almost yeah, like, I mean, I would say it's inspired divinely inspired because he's the one that gives us our talents, um, you know, whatever field that is. And obviously we're focusing on sports today. So, um, I mean, I, w I would agree with that. Okay. Okay. Very Have cool. you ever done a bicycle kick to score a goal? I have, but not in a live game. I've done it in practice. Okay. I always like that when I watch soccer, it makes me smile. And I, and I was a lot younger That That was before I had a bad back. Man, getting old sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm only 27. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the life of a professional I athlete. Old yet, but. Yep. <laughs> Drew, one one of the questions that we've kind of been discussing here th throughout this podcast is uh, kind of the the 
the difference between our experience with church and our experience with sports. And uh, when we first started this conversation, it was, have you ever been as excited in church or anything kind of spiritual as you have been when you scored a goal or when Aaron Rodgers throws a Hail Mary pass at the, to win the game or mm-hmm. something like that. And so can you talk just a little bit about how uh, fans and whatnot interact with, with the professional athlete and, and kind of that experience of that, that sports, especially in our American culture here seems to be the top over everything else mm-hmm. and, and maybe why that is. Oh, well, that's a, that's a great question um, slash questions. Uh, now, knowing, uh, relating church to sports, uh, for me, my personal experience, man, so I guess the best way to describe it for me, I'm a huge Washington Redskins fan. Um, wow. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> I've talked to Gabe about this uh, at times because he's he actually a Packers fan. Yeah. So. Dude, Kirk uh, Cousins, Michigan State quarterback. That's what I'm talking about. Say la vie, RG3. Get out of here. But but anyways, when I watch Redskins games, like say, so for instance, uh, Josh has brought up RG3. When he was in his rookie season and they were just killing it and he was killing it and everything was going smoothly and the Redskins were just on a run. I mean, you can't really describe like how you feel because you're so invested in the team that it's almost like you're on cloud nine that you're so jacked up about it. Now, have I ever got that? feeling in church um i mean i don't know i feel like i've come close maybe but i don't know if i've gotten now all by myself in my car maybe listening to worship music just kind of um you know just just worshiping the lord i think that i have had that experience at times but i can't say i've ever had it within the structure of going to church um now i don't know if that's good if that's bad or well, that's what I say. So but, is that a problem? I, I guess that's one of the things that I think maybe we can all try and wrestle with here. Like, I'm like, I don't know if that's, that's an issue because it doesn't take away from what's true being true. Yeah. That, that goes, that goes back to what Drew just said, you know, like wh- when you had that game that you were just, everything w- was working for you, that, that, that is God given. And so um, when I am, you, you know, I've had some of the same experiences playing sports that that's God given when you are in the presence of your wife, who you think is beautiful and awesome. And have you ever had, you know, those emotions at church? No, but like the, it's, it's just very different. And all these other things God gives us a beautiful sunset, a beautiful landscape, whatever it happens to be, God has provided that. And so why do we, why do we compare the two then? And so you'd say, Tom, from what I'm getting from you is like, it's appropriate to take those moments of like heightened emotion, even in something manufactured like a sporting event and attribute that joy to the divine, to God. Sure. Why not? Well, I mean, I guess it'd be the same way as, you know, people who love to run. You know what I mean? I've heard of like people who run and mountain bike and stuff, or even just hike, you know, you're out in creation and you have a divine experience looking at a waterfall or watching a banana slug crawl on the ground. I mean, I don't know, you know, it's the same, same type of uh, emotional response or spiritual response to a heightened sense of the divine, like you said, Gabe. So I don't know if we can necessarily like sequester just to a sporting event, but I think it certainly provides a a far more um, like, you know, explicit emotional Kind of, you know, you can make observations, I guess, that things are actually happening on a, on a physical level, being manifested from this like spiritual experience, versus someone wandering around through the forest, you know, like a Robert Frost or something, and you know, or Thoreau, and saying, "Oh, the trees, divine," and, we, and then they write poems. Do we have any scriptural scriptural basis for for? I mean, for the most part, people heard Jesus, and we don't hear about anything anybody just going crazy over the emotional experience we have actually a couple... they did a lot but it was mostly to kill him well <laughs> right 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 no, so like it, watching, yeah when you throw a big interception talking. instead of that hail mary touchdown pass they pretty much wanted to kill jesus so i think, I think so, there's times where you get that for sure i mean if you look at acts i mean a lot of things that happen in acts the, the disciples are being so filled by the spirit that they're 
they're acting like other people are looking at them. Kind of, I mean, obviously it's a manifestation of the spirit when they're speaking in tongues, but even when they were just um, worshiping the Lord or in prayer, people look at them and they're like, what, like, what are they doing? They're crazy. They're just so filled with the spirit, so filled with joy. And then you can also look, I watched the Bible last night, the Bible series and the part about King David when he's coming into Jerusalem and he's dancing in his underwear in front of the ark. Oh yeah. And, um, but I think that, that because we're, our, our, our natures, we're, we're obviously sinful creatures. I think that we easily get distracted, one, and we also easily let things come into us that aren't necessarily of the Lord that can take our attention off of him. So um, if those things are kind of taken away and we see the Lord for who he is, I think that those same sensations that people get when they watch sports or when they do, like Josh was talking about, mountain biking or whatever, they can get those same same sensations or emotions when they see the Lord, but they just don't really see him clearly, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, so but is me... that necessarily a bad thing? You know what I mean? Like I, I guess I think to myself, you know, ha- having that type of experience, like God created everything and he made it good, you know, and he gave us things to experience in a positive way. It's not like we've just been thrown into this like, pit of hell that we just have to sort of scrape by our existence. But he gives us things like, you know, community or sports or other ways and and the way he's created our our minds and our hearts and and our desire for fellowship to work that, I mean, it's a good thing, like for, for on many levels, you know what I mean? Like if you're just getting like trashed before a football game, just simply to get trashed and that's your divine experience, then yes, I completely agree. But I mean, can we answer the question, is it necessarily or is it inherently bad or evil or wicked or sinful to not always have 100% attention and focus on the things of the Lord? Like, you know, I mean, Gabe, for you and I, this would be, you know, theologically speaking, this would be a lot of like left-hand kingdom stuff, you know what right. I mean? Or left-handed righteousness, you know, things that are not specifically Christian or specifically faith-related yet can be seen as good or beneficial. Yeah, but is there like, is there a way? But so there's kind of a fine line there, though, because it's a fine line, I think, between idolatry and um, appreciating the gifts of, from the giver, right? So it's a fine line between saying like, I love the gift <sighs> of sports so much, and I'm so grateful to the giver, the creator, for giving that to us, versus I love the gift of sports so much, detached from the giver. Right. Like that's a very tricky line to navigate. Yeah. So we, so we see that in sports all the time. And, you know, Drew, you can kind of speak to this a little bit, but that we, that we have this hero worship. We have we, we go to a sporting event and we want to get the autograph and we will just do anything we can to to spend some time and get in front of the, the, the professional athlete and get a picture or whatever it happens to be. And, and that that can quickly, I think. Uh, we kind of turn that into into hero worship. We turn that into idolatry. And then to your point, both you, uh, Gabe and Josh, you're talking about, well, is that is that okay? Or, or are we not giving enough credit to the creator? I mean, is that idolatry at all, though? Because if we define, you know, an idol as something that we put our full and complete trust in above God, then for those people who literally say, you know, the Green Bay Packers are my God and they worship them in all aspects of their life, then sure, that's idolatry. But for me to want to get an autograph or be pumped that my team, you know, scored a touchdown or made a goal or, you know, uh, that's I mean, overly like a- simplistic, man. And sorry to interrupt. I want Drew to talk to here, but like there's functional idolatry. There's just functional idolatry. Like no one has to say explicitly the Green Bay Packers are my idol. No, but, but what I'm saying is like look at Luther's wife. definition of the, you know, his definition of idolatry based on the on the first commandment. I don't know functional idolatry. Like by by being a super fan, is that is that functionally putting your trust in a sports team above God or above anything else. I don't, I mean, I don't know. So by, by functional Gabe, you mean like their, their behavior shows that something else is their God basically. Yeah, that's what exactly. you're saying. They live as if. So that's no different than 90% of American Christians who show up on Sunday for their hour and functionally idolize everything else in their lives for the rest of the days of the week. 
Yeah, but is that okay? Is that okay just because 90% of American Christians are doing it? No, it's not okay, but, you know, it's a little bit unfair to the conversation and the sport, you know, to to sort of like call out sports fans and say you're guilty of it because guaranteed there are going to be people who listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, those idolaters, I don't do that. But at the same time, they're going to show up and worship their job on tomorrow morning, you know, Monday morning. What what did you say was the was the definition your definition for idolatry? Oh, uh, just a. Uh, I mean, I, I probably should have looked this up before I said it, but uh, Luther essentially says to just put your trust uh, your trust in something above God or in something okay. else. Gabe, you okay. probably remember this better. Yeah, I've, better I've, I've heard that one, but I think that another way to put it is anything anything or anyone that dethrones God. So putting something else on on you know in in essence the throne of your heart or something else you're following something else above god basically sure, sure is another way to put it and i think that um you know just because a christian doesn't go to church on sunday doesn't mean that they're going to hell but i think that it does in a way show functionally who they're following because it's like okay do i want to go to a packers game or do i want to go to church and and worship the lord because in in essence i heard david platt preach on this one time and he talked about about worshiping. Like, what what are you worshiping? Are you going to a college football game and worshiping the players and the coach, or do you want to worship God by the way that you are speaking and living? Um, so I think that that, like Gabe said, there is a fine line between it. And well, I think I, I think so too because you know you have you have kids out there right now that you know they're skipping every Sunday for hockey practice or basketball practice or whatever right and their rooms are completely filled with posters of their favorite sport and there's nothing in their rooms that would identify them as christians there's nothing in their lives right now during that season that would identify them as christians uh because they are all in on this thing it is supplanting uh this time of worship this time of of giving anything back to god and so is that is that idolatry so we all have to rock terrible Christian T-shirts, otherwise we're in danger of supplanting God by rocking, a, you know, a Blues jersey or an Aztecs jersey. That is exactly right. I'm just saying, like, I, I think it's dangerous to start talking about functional idolatry. To go back to the very beginning of this conversation, when we were talking about children's books and theologies of, of glory and theologies of the cross, like, it's terribly dangerous, I think, to speak to functional idolatry because, frankly, I don't know if we necessarily like to a certain degree. We don't necessarily have a right to call out whether you're being a, fu- a functional idolater or not. You know what I mean? Like how many times – like just today, I walked into – my kids were uh, – it's grandparents' day at my kid's school. I'm wearing a hat, a t-shirt, some cut-off jean shorts, and some sandals. You know what I mean? George. I walk in and – yep, you know it. I'm a never nude. What can I say? <laughs> That's for all your rest of fans there out there. There are dozens of us. You're welcome. But I walk in the gym today, right? <laughs> I'm a pastor of a church, okay? I pride myself on – uh, reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and trying to set a good example as a functional Christian in society today. I walk into the gym, a teacher uh, and someone else, two people in one day said, oh, you don't really look like a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to take that as a compliment or as an insult. But so then am I functionally I- idolatrous because I don't, you know, I somehow don't look like this, this role of shepherd uh, or pastor or religious leader. You know what I mean? Like, all I'm doing is wearing no, a t-shirt. Bro, because that's that's based on their definition of something, not yeah. on God's definition of something. Yeah, but we're, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying that because you go to a sports game on a Sunday morning, that you are that you are an idolatrous person, and you're putting a sports team above else. I mean, I would ask, how, what about all these pastors who take sabbaticals? I've never had a sabbatical. I'm only three years in the ministry. What if I don't go to church on one of those Sundays that I'm not preaching? Am I somehow not functioning as a Christian? What if no. I choose to go to a sports? What if I choose to go to a uh, you know a Niners game or something? Am so, I putting am I putting the 49ers above God? I don't know if I can say that. Now, so, if you have season tickets and you're doing it every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, can we say something there when it becomes a pattern? Because oh, you're sure. just talking about one Sunday, just one no, act. Yeah, and, absolutely. No, but you're you're absolutely right, Drew. I mean, on the like, that, but how many of those people would say that they're devoted Christians? Like, probably not, because mm-hmm. they're tailgating every Sunday. You know, exactly. Like, to your point. Drew, let me let me ask you this because you've been in this you've been in this pro sports culture you've been you know working your way up from grade school to high school to college to mm. to to the pros and in order to do that it takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication. Uh, 
where you can you can make that that you know the weightlifting and the and the practicing your god if you will tell me a little bit about your experiences with other professional athletes and your own and how you how you kind of navigated that um i mean just talking about so I'll, i'll go from like my background a bit just give a little snapshot of it and my whole life growing up from the time i was man from the time where i could actually think and think like what's my goal for my life whenever i don't know what that age was but it was under 10 i would say somewhere around there and i was like you know what i want to be a professional soccer player when i grow up like i specifically remember like praying that like to god i would be like i'd be like god i want to be the best player ever to like put on cleats like that's what i want my life to be about and then like i said when i opened up the bible 20 years later and i was like well why is my life all about me is it really about me pursuing my soccer career and being the best soccer player that i want to be or is it about like josh said spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel with people that are willing to hear and yeah i can do that through soccer absolutely but for me soccer had been a functional idol and in, in using gabe's expression for so long in my life that it's almost like it was so hard for me to separate the two that I felt like God was leading me out of it because I had been going after it for so long. Um, and I, I, I see teammates that I played with, teammates that I played with in Austin. And, and uh, you know, I played for Charlotte for two years um, on a, you know, on, on a Christian team where, where I even saw it exhibited there where soccer is so important to, to them that it dictates all aspects of their life, like everything. And isn't that the definition of God? Like, shouldn't he be so important to us that he's dictating everything. And I'm not saying you can't be a soccer fan or you can't be a sports fan. You can't go to games. You can't, you can't miss a Sunday to go watch the Packers or the Redskins play. I'm not saying that that means you're not Christian, but I think that when it, when something controls your whole life and it controls everything you eat, everything you do, where you go in life, where you move to, um, all those things, I think that you can pretty much say, um, that it's an idol. And if that offends people, um, you know, that that's just the truth, in, in my opinion. Um, and that's kind of how I felt that God was leading me. Um, well, so, Drew, so. let me ask you this, because you and I you and I would talk about this a lot. Uh, and you mean and the rest of the guys that, that were part of our Bible study. And like it was always kind of this question of like, what does it mean to be a Christian and a professional athlete or, you know, in more theological terms, we'd be like, what is the vocation of a professional athlete? Like, how, how do you live into that well as Christian? Because uh, you and I both know guys that are. Um, yeah. So how, how, what's, how do you do it? I don't know. You know? I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, uh, be a card carrying member of the FCA. Is that how you do it? Or, or become player, player chaplain? You know, yep. a player yeah, slash assistant chaplain, like I kind of was under you, Gabe. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were, man. You were. Um, or you could just I become Ronaldo and become the focus of all idolatry anyway. Yeah, well, okay. So, for instance, a guy that pops on my head, Tim, Tim Tebow, right? He obviously hasn't had the greatest uh, NFL career, but he was pretty much like on the Florida campus. He was He was like God on that campus for a while, but he would always point to God, right? whenever he did anything. And, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's how you should be. Like, I don't think that you necessarily, that was maybe just his personality. Um, but I think that there's, that there's a way that you can live as a Christian, no matter what you're doing, whether you're in a, uh, ministry role, like, like you three are. And like, I think I'm called being called into, or whether you're in a secular role as a soccer coach or professional player or whatever you may be doing, a lawyer or a doctor, I think there's a way that you can act, that can exhibit the people that you belong to, to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it very hard to do that in soccer just because of how long I'd been in it and how important it was to me on every level that I couldn't be exhibit those qualities uh, faithfully to the Lord within soccer. Now, that was just me, though. That's my makeup yeah. and my background. I don't think that that's the case for every professional athlete that you can say, like Josh said, like, oh, you went to you went to a game on Sunday. You're an idolater. You play professional. You're an athlete. You're an idolater. Like, I don't think that you can say that at all. I think that we deal with God in a relationship and that he treats us and and speaks to us differently within that relationship. Uh, So, 
Dude, that's great. Well, I think, man, it's amazing to hear your story that way, at least to me, like to, you know, cause 27, you know, in the soccer world, that's, you're sp- this is the peak of your career, Drew. Like, you know, like this is yeah. this is kind of it. And to say, you know, man, this was functioning my life in a way that I didn't think it should, and I'm instead gonna pursue what I think God's calling me to is is pretty amazing to me. Yeah. I mean Yeah, that's just that's kinda how what I felt the Lord was working on my heart. So That's cool. It man. is tough. I'm not gonna lie. Like I would be in preseason right now. It's weird. It's very is it, weird. Is this, yeah, it was like your first time in like eight years that you're not in preseason? This is my first time in longer than that. Like four years life. of college, six years, ten years. First time in a decade I haven't been in uh, <laughs> in preseason. And, yeah, it's very strange. Like I've been going up to Liberty and running on the track and doing track workouts because I feel like I need to stay in shape. And, and I, you know, I just like being in shape, but it's still like weird. I'm like out there. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I running right now? I don't need to be. <laughs> yeah, you slow. probably feel naked, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's I a question I always that. ask. Why am I running? This is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like you don't have that purpose anymore. It's like, well, I don't really have to stay in shape anymore. I mean, I don't really want to get, you know, fat, I guess you could say, without, you know, putting it bluntly, but I don't really have to be running right now. But yeah, it's definitely weird. It's weird. No, for you me. put it bluntly. Look at Josh. He hasn't ran in like 30 years. I hate running. See? And now he's fat. It is boring and annoying, <laughs> especially on a track when you're going in circles. You're like a hamster on a freaking wheel, people. Yeah, I think I just like the feeling after, though. You know, that's true. You, you uh, feel being like, super sweaty uh, and tired. And if you're me, then after running a couple hundred yards, you're dizzy and want to throw up. So yeah, I love that <laughs> feeling too. All right, so we've established Josh on athletic. Uh, Drew, we want to we want to thank you for your time. And before you go, uh, Gabe and I have had this conversation for a couple of years now about how I, I'm a big basketball player and I, mm-hmm. I, I functionally don't understand soccer because people get all excited over a one nil game. And I feel that there needs to be more scoring. Uh, I have multiple problems with the game of soccer overall. Uh, but the number one thing, and I would really like to ask you this, is uh, the, the extra, the stoppage time after the game. Uh, we've had the invention of a stopwatch now for for decades. And somehow, though, at the end of the game, it's still this kind of subjective, meh, we think maybe three and a half, four minutes left, whatever. Um, why can we not just, like, stop the clock and start it again, and then that would be exactly how much time you have at the end of the game? Can you can you answer that for me? I think partly it's tradition, because that's just how soccer's always been played. And sure. soccer, unlike other sports, is a continuous game. So other obviously there's halftime, but once the clock starts running in the first half, second half, there's no stoppages within the game that are like, all right, the game, there's no timeouts basically. Yeah. And so that's I, one part. I get that. I, I just feel like there could be like pay a seventh grader to stand up there. And like every time someone's down for an injury or, or the ball gets kicked out in the stands or something, he just clicks the stopwatch and, yeah. you know, it adds it all up and like, Hey, we got three. Let him go, Tom. Let him go. Yeah. Tom, calm down. So we're talking about football. The head referee. Football, not no, big just, American drag ball. I don't I'm even know what that very, means. Uh, very, very uh, like legalistic about this answer, I guess. So that's what the head referee is for. Because in a good head referee, I've been seeing lately when I watch games on TV. Obviously, this is the highest level. They'll have two watches on. Okay. So on both wrists, and one, I'm, I guarantee you, I don't have I don't have proof on this, but one is for injury time. So one will be running continuously, like for the 45 minutes each half or the 90 sure. minute game, and then the other one will be. I don't know how he'll do it, but somehow he'll be keeping how much stoppage will, will be on there. He probably turns it on when there's stoppage and then stops it. And then turns it on again when someone gets injured, stops it when play starts again. So then he actually should know exactly how much stoppage time should be added. Drew, you have restored my faith in in <laughs> sports. Um, I'm still not going to probably watch soccer tomorrow. Let's not get too excited there, Gabe. But thank you for that. I do appreciate that. Um, we, also, we also appreciate your time, Gabe. Or, uh, Drew, uh, thank you so much for being part of our, our podcast. Uh, Gabe, I'm sorry. Gabe's picture just, like, kind of came up on my on. I'm like, I mean, I appreciate your time, Gabe. Hey, I'm, I appreciate, I'm appreciate it for Gabe, too. Gabe, you're, you're, <laughs> hey, man, yeah, we can keep this conversation going. <laughs> yeah, we don't care about Gabe. Drew, thank you for being for being part of our show. We really appreciate it. We're going to head into break here, uh, so we'll be back. Hey, just to say, Gabe, you need a haircut. Thanks, bro. <laughs> just to bring you back down to earth. Ouch. Thanks, bro. I need it. My ego is getting too big. 
Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had time to go hit the potty, hit the quan, or anything else that you wanted to hit uh, in that little break. But as uh, we get back and finish up our episode for today, I, you know, I just want to ask this question. Where does this leave us? And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. We did a lot of talking, a little bit of arguing, and we asked some questions. But uh, the real question is, what have you gotten out of the discussion today? And that's for you to figure out because I'm not going to give you the answers. Because you don't have them. Exactly right. So in the meantime, I'm just going to give a couple of shout-outs on our way out of town here All right. today. Love it. Speaking of towns, Ax Leander Church in Austin, Texas, Pastor Gabe Casper, uh, church planting. They've launched like, I don't know, like seven churches this year and a daycare. But if you're in the Austin, Texas area – and you don't want to go see the Aztecs play on Sunday morning and be a functional idolater, then you should stop by Astros <laughs> Leander on Sunday morning. Uh, what time is worship, Gabe? Uh, 9.30 and 11. Or if you want to uh, wear your overalls and run barefooted down a dirt road to southeast Tennessee, you can always stop by Bridge City Community where I'm the pastor. And uh, like a sporting event, we do whatever we want. People don't pay attention. And there have been situations in which someone has walked in with a 40. So beer and tailgating are, uh, are often invited and typically happen. And uh, for the rest of you, not really sure why you'd want to go to Minnesota. But if you're up in the area visiting Tom, uh, give him a shout-out. Stop by he and his organization, Youth Encounter, which puts on incredible events for kids and ministry encounters where you can experience the divine outside of a Green Bay Packers stadium. Ooh. Dude, that was so topical, Josh. That was amazing. Hey, I do what I can. Do what I can. Not only do you have a face for radio, but you've got a mind for it, too. I'm trying to grow a beard for radio, too. I like it. Uh, Hey, a couple individual shout-outs. First of all, many thanks again to Drew Yates. Uh, He rocks. You can there's highlight videos of him. He's a phenomenal player. Was blessed to know him, and we're grateful for for his time with us. And then, uh, of course, we want to say thanks to uh, to Tom's mom. Uh, she is going to be taking a picture. Anyone who sus- subscribes to us this next week, she is taking a picture holding a pint glass. If you subscribe to us, we will send you a picture of Tom's mom with a pint glass. What could be more enticing than that? So many thanks to her. Uh, she rocks. Tom, would you close us out? Yeah, first of all, we want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast and become one of our regulars, and that's in quotations, air quotes, if you will. You can do this by jumping onto our website at www.pintglasspreachers.com. If you like our podcast enough, we'd invite you to buy us another round. Uh, This is our clever way of asking you to support us either with a one-time gift or a monthly automatic donation of $1.99. If you do, we'll promise you some awesome, cool swag. Like pictures of my mom holding a pine class. It'll be awesome. Last call. Next week on Pint Glass Preachers. Engage hip hop boys. One of the hottest topics in our country right now, race. Josh pastors a church with people that have a different color skin than him. What the what? We're going to hear about it. We're going to hear from some friends uh, from from different uh, racial backgrounds. It's going to be exciting. We're going to talk about what it looks like in our country and hopefully figure out how the gospel speaks into that. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, MySpace, Spotify, LiveJournal, email, landline phone, smoke signal. Moleskin Journal. Moleskin Journal. Whatever works for you. Love to have you. Tell your friends about us. We would love to spread the good word of this good podcast. Uh, So please pass it on. Love y'all. Take care. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, we need an Upper Thigh Covenant meme. Hey, by the way, guys, I started making my own beard oil.